was it Devil's Creek where somebody got in the rig and their pack was on fire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't they didn't want to close the door because their pack was on, on fire. fire. This is the Wildfire Lessons podcast. Our goal is to promote learning by revealing the complexity and risk in the wildland fire environment. We share the lessons. The learning that follows is up to you. Hi, I'm Kelly Woods, director of the Wildland Fire Lessons Learned Center. On today's episode, Lessons Learned Center analyst Travis Dotson and I visit about some of the key lessons that we gathered in 2021. Most of the incidents we reference are highlighted in our Wildland Fire Lessons Learned Center annual incident review summary. The 2021 summary is based on 171 operational reports and it's rich with lessons shared by the field. We produce the incident review summary each year and include lessons, links, and suggested exercises to facilitate learning. You can download the 2021 summary at our website, wildfirelessons.net. I hope you enjoy my chat with Travis and are motivated to start some dialogue with your peers about what you hear. Hey Travis, it's awesome to sit down and talk with you today about some of the some of the lessons and things that uh, we took away from 2021. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited. It's a big lift to kind of collect all those things and get them down and then I'm excited to share them cuz the whole the whole point, right, is that Somebody out there, uh, obviously people are already engaged out on the fire ground right now, and maybe some of these lessons will, will be helpful. So that being said, let's, you want to dive in? You ready? Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's get in. From your, your standpoint, what, what stands out? What are some of the key lessons or things that um, we saw at the Lessons Learned Center in reports Oh man, there's quite a bit there. So I think I'll just kind of go in order. And a thing that people are always really interested in is fatalities. Um, you know, how many, how does it compare? What were the, you know, are there trends? And, and there was a unique uh, element to fatalities this year. Um, but to, to start at the top, there were 23 um, fatalities, wildland fire related fatalities that we recorded um, in 2021. Um, and in, in terms of how that compares last year, there was 15, the year before that there was nine, the year before that there was 19. Um, and, and in the re review summary, you, there is a graph of the last 10 years, right? And, um, and so 23 is uh, within the realm of, of average. It's, it's, uh, on the higher side, um, but one of the reasons why was because there was some uh, COVID fatalities. And I think that people just like all, as soon as people see that, they're like COVID fatalities, like, how, you know, how are you recording that? How are you saying, like, did they get it at an incident or how can you prove that? And the process that we used was the United States Fire Administration puts out these fatality notifications. And... I wish I could say that that was the only threshold that we used, but there was two instances where there wasn't a United States Fire Administration note, and that was the two water tender operators, and, and we ended up using a different uh, format for, for it. But all that to say, there was six um, COVID-related fatalities uh, that were 
labeled as um, line of duty death. You know, it was somehow related. I think in most instances it was um, them contracting it at a fire. Um, and in one instance, going straight from the fire, like to the hospital and not making it home. This isn't a thing that we've, we've dealt with before. And, you know, I've, I've always kind of, um, pushed back against the saying that I know people have heard, which is, well, we've never, we haven't found a new way to kill a firefighter in a long time. And I'm just like, maybe, maybe every so often there is actually, (laughs) you know, um, but uh, anyway, the, the, the point to me with the fatalities this year is you, you look at the graph in the, in the document, there's a, there's a bar graph and there's six COVID fatalities. And then, then the next category is uh, medical. And this is typically things like a cardiac arrest or some other strange, uh, something happens where there's a, it's like a medical issue um, in relation to a fire. Um, and then vehicle accidents are after that with uh, three aviation. There was three, um, I think that was two aviation events resulting in three fatalities, a couple falls. And, and then the next kind of strange category is active shooter, you know, and that was because there was a, uh, somebody went into a fire station that was a primary um, wildland response fire station and uh shot one of the firefighters there while they were on duty. Um, I haven't recorded that type of wildland fatality before, and that's an outlier. Um, and then the rest of them, uh, entrapment, hit by tree, hit by vehicle, and there was actually one smoke jumping fatality this year. Those were one each. But what stood out to me was that the more like typical operational things, getting hit by trees and entrapments and all that stuff, they were at the low end of the graph, right? All the other stuff is things that we all are, whether you're in logistics or in finance or whatever, like COVID and medical and vehicle accidents, those are all things that apply to everybody. You know, you, you drive to the incident, no matter what function you're gonna fill, right? Um, and so it's that it's it's that classic kind of discussion about where where is the risk for you you know your uh your thing and so that was the the big thing on fatalities and then um or what stood out to me on fatalities and then looking at the 10 year graph um we're we're within the range of of normal and I never know what to say is normal you know what I mean like I think the average is always it, it's different depending on if you use 20 years of data or 10 years of data or the last five years of data and people will swear it's 17.2 or no it's you know um 11 or whatever and it's like well we can we can use any number of years to get an average right <laughs> um so I put a trend line in there this year and it's not level the trend line meaning like okay, if you tried to even out the highs and the lows and stuff like that, what, where would that line be? And it's, it's right around 17 and it's, and it's actually just barely slight to, slightly going down. Um, it's pretty close to level, but it's slightly going down and it's somewhere in the, it's in between 15 and 20. That line stays between 15 and 20 all the way across there. So that's the average. And um, one thing I will say that's not about last year is this year, we've already recorded nine fatalities and it's May. 
that's uh, the numbers you pulled on that yesterday are um, it's pretty sobering, really. Absolutely. Um, I looked back 20 years and we've only had nine fatalities total by uh, by uh, May 10th once in the past 20 years. And that happened in um, in a year where there was a uh, uh, an, a P2V, an air tanker that crashed um, in Utah en route to New Mexico um, that had three fatalities. So that was a one event that, that resulted in three fatalities. And that's the last time we had nine fatalities by May 10th. But this year we're talking single incident. Single incidents, yeah. We've had multiple entrapments. We've had some cardiac events. We've had uh, some vehicle uh, stuff in it. And so single incident events, I, I looked back 20 years and we, we have not, have we have yet, this is the first time that that's happened in 20 years. Uh, I didn't look past that. Um, but it supports that idea of the fire year, you know? Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. I'd hope that that was the end for the whole year. You know what I mean? Like that, that we didn't see any more fatalities this year, but the, um, the numbers don't bear that out either. Yeah, for sure. There's, uh, you know, we're, active in the in the west now getting more and more so a lot of people will be mobilizing um driving in rigs you know fallen trees dealing with extreme fire behavior that all those things are you know building from here it's moving to the next topic that uh, in in terms of what you saw in the reports last year yeah personal protective equipment like it's uh it's kind of every time i i uh, go to talk about this i'm just like oh man i sound like a boring old like uh a safety officer or something like that but um it it really stood out in these years reports um and it and it the reason it stood out uh, originally to me was because there was a bunch of reports where um they were saying wow the ppe really worked <laughs> you know, some and some pretty dramatic ones, um, like the the one that stands out to me is where the firefighter was operating an ATV on a prescribed fire and just kind of hit a uh, some shale or a rock or something like that and tipped over and they got they got tossed off the ATV, went seventeen feet down the hill, and then you know obviously impacted and rolled and stuff like that and the and they were wearing a wearing a helmet and the helmet just smacked into this rock and they describe it in the report and stuff like that. But they were wearing, you know, the DOT like motorcycle style helmet, not just a typical hard hat. And it's like, wow, good thing they were wearing that. You yeah, know? there's no doubt in that scenario that wearing the DOT helmet and wearing it correctly, having it stay in place on the, the individual's head greatly reduced the severity of injury. Yeah, the likelihood of that injury. You know what I mean? It's just like, I was like, oh man. Um, and anytime we get a report like that where it's like, yeah, it's a, a bad event, but kind of good outcome, you know, that's always like, hey, wow, check it out. PPE works. Um, <laughs> I try and pass that along. And that's not the only time we've seen that. Um, we, um, I mean, with the DOT helmets and um, we, we had one a couple years back where a division soup was driving back uh, off the line. Um, there was actually a rainstorm coming in and he was trying to get back and, um, and he was in a UTV. 
and you know it got muddy and he slipped and 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 went over tipped the utv over he had the same message he was just like oh man wear wear this wear the real deal uh helmet even if you're in a utv um and i know that it's a, it's a constant debate about um what what should be required to wear both on atvs and utvs and some agencies have made policy and others have uh, others haven't and some some people leave it open some agencies leave it open um it's always a, a point of contention and i know the thing about you know being able to hear the radio is a is a um is a topic that op often gets brought up as to why people don't want to wear the uh, DOT and then sometimes cost and sometimes just availability and it's like well should we not use the ATV just because we don't have the helmets and um, I think sometimes the answer is yes <laughs> but that was a dramatic one from last year there's also the one where uh, the crew was mopping up uphill Sawyer cuts cuts uh, a portion of a tree that's already laying on the ground you know and it starts rolling and it's a significant you know, it's a, it's, it's part of the bowl of the tree and it starts rolling and it's just, you know, one of those things that happens and, uh, and it, they're shouting at this person that's mopping up and it ends up knocking them down and rolling over their head, like over their whole body, but the, they describe it. And I think that the, the quote is the log jammed his face and head into the ground. He could feel the sides of his helmet squeezing his head. So his helmet stayed on, and this is a typical, you know what I mean, all the, the helmets that we all wear. Um, and it cracked. It, it squeezed the edges together, but it cracked. And in the report, you can see, you know, the, the line where it just made this big old crack. Um, but they talk about that like, mm, that would have been a bad deal. If it, if it was that much force to crack that helmet, um, had he had had the helmet been knocked off or or whatever and that that log was just putting that much pressure on his skull like that could have been a pretty bad deal yeah that you have that quote out you know in the incident review summary and it it just you can uh, it's just intense it, it makes you kind of grimace a little when you read that quote it was the the deep creek fire log roll injury and you know all of these incidents for the most part that we're talking about you have links provided in the document so i, th I think that's a really one of the cool things about it as we go through these yeah they're they're all i mean the lessons are all on our incident review database too but these are the ones you're hearing about or you're speaking about today are like they're right there in the in the document so it's it's pretty easy to find yeah, them. exactly, and then um, and then the other ones that um, that came up around PPE, multiple instances of of people being overrun by fire, and then the the fire resistant clothing doing its job, which is to lessen the impact, right? Like a lot of them still got burn injuries, but they were far less severe than you know not had that on, and it, and it's kind of funny because it's like none of nobody's out there. There's plenty of us out there that take our helmets off or don't wear our chin straps or are not wearing gloves or stuff like that. But we all pretty much have our green pants and yellow shirts on. Or if, if, if you're me, you have a, a lime green. It is quite, yes, the high visibility, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> high visibility uh, fire resistant shirt. When you're on a fire up there in Washington, I can just about see the glow from Boise. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I, yeah. I'll, uh, 
at least people ask me about it, but that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, for sure. No, there's, there's definite intent there. Yeah. And there's, there's reasons and it comes from like reports and stuff. Yeah. You read too much. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm like, I read these things too much because I also have a different version helmet. It's, it's funny. Like I, you know, I know you're, you're a parent too. And it's like the, the helmet stuff. I am so paranoid with my son and the helmet thing. And I'm like, bud, you know, you, you got to read this. And he's like, mom, <laughs> like it's a serious deal, you know? So it's like, yeah, it's funny how that is, how some of these things cross over into everyday life. Some of these lessons. I watched my daughter, she was just cruising on her bike and it was wet and we, she was coming down. I was walking and she was cruising down and um, just slipped and just went sideways and just smashed her head into the sidewalk. And, you know, she was wearing a, a helmet and oh my gosh, I've never been so thankful. She ended up like getting a bloody nose and, and I, I thought I was going to have to scoop her up and take her right to the hospital. But yeah, <laughs> same thing. It was just like, oh my gosh, it just proves it. You got to... Uh, tempted to just be like, if you're going to go outside, put your helmet on. <laughs> exactly. Totally. Yep. Don't even try it, dude. That's, you know, yeah. But anyway, I think there is something to be said for, yes, of course, we're all wearing our fire resistant clothing, but there is that kind of uh, rolling your sleeves up kind of thing. And then wearing your gloves. There was some high profile events where uh, on both sides where people were saying, I wish I would have worn my gloves because I didn't even have time to even get them out. And they ended up with some serious burn injuries on their hands. And then instances where people, you know, the, the burn injuries, they did have their sleeves rolled down and the burns um, the, the discoloration on the fire resistant clothing is all the way down, you know what I mean? Right up to their wrists. And, uh, and it is like, oh yeah, if that, if that layer wouldn't have been there, those burns would have been um, pretty severe. And it, and it goes to the question in that section, which is, you know, all the debate around shrouds and gloves, right? And just have that discussion. What does it look like? Because there's multiple instances where people didn't have time. They always thought they would have time to pull their shroud down, but it turns out when it goes bad, it goes bad in a hurry and you don't even have time to pull your shroud down or even put your gloves on, right? Yeah, you can't, you don't have any time to better your opportunity for, you know. Yeah, what you got is what you got. What you got is what you got. You can't, yeah, you don't have time. And and I mean, that's that's so true in what we wear and this helmet discussion we're having or the seatbelt discussion, you know, it's it's not just our clothing, it's like, you, you never know when you're going to be on a soft shoulder, for example, and your vehicle's going to roll twice and, you know, and everybody's buckled in and so there's no injury. You know, that kind of stuff. It's, you, you, you always live with this, fa- you know, this false arrogance that, oh, I'll have time to, you know, put my shroud on or, yeah, no. I mean, time and time again in these reports this year, that was the case. Yeah. And it's also... Those are for individuals, right? In individuals' careers or stuff like that. Those are outlier events, right? So like, yeah, the majority of your shifts, your shroud's going to be useless. And in some cases, like even a detriment, right? If it's hot and it's like, and gloves get in the way. um, And so like all that stuff's real. 
and and chances are you're probably not going to use it but man when that event happens it's like it's serious and so what are what are some of the things that you can prepare for you know it's probably better to have your gloves a little bit more accessible than in the bottom of your pack or you know what i mean like um, but that's just stuff people are going to have to wrestle with and come up with on their own yeah and and as you say like reading these it's a great conversation you know because then it gives you the opportunity to it just plants the seed of thought you know how are you going to behave what's going to be your you know rule for how you protect yourself or not in what circumstances and and just considering it yeah and people end up in fire shelters all the time without their gloves on um for a legitimate reason like it, those things are hard to open and it's chaos and you're you know like and so you take your gloves off even if you did have them on you take them off to open the shelter which is a really important step and then you jump in because it's time sensitive and then you find yourself inside the shelter with no gloves that's a logical thing that happens but we also have reports where people say oh man i'm really glad i had my flight gloves in my cargo pocket <laughs> that's pretty amazing maybe that's a great lesson right yeah right there i love that report uh it's a uh, horse park where the lookout for the crew points that out what's in your pockets i mean that's a great lesson right what's in your pockets because again that's what you were probably gonna that's end what up you're with. gonna have yeah so i think what was it? she had a lighter and chapstick yeah uh-huh you know that's important stuff so yeah if people haven't read that that's a that's a good one i what's in your pockets what's in your pockets it also happens to be one that talks about high vis clothing because <laughs> they couldn't find her yeah and and most of us are by the time our yellow shirt gets all dirty we're, we're pretty much wearing camouflage <laughs> yeah and some of us are literally wearing camouflage <laughs> yep so, all right, well, that was most of the PPE stuff. And we already started kind of dove into it, um, which is always a, some of the most dramatic types of incidents, which is entrapments. What were some of the things that stood out to you, Kelly, uh, uh, on entrapments before? Because I talk about this like every year. <laughs> and sometimes I get, I, feel, I get tired of some of the things that I say. You know, what stood out to me is that we had these particular incidents that had such similarities in the entrapments, you know, unbelievably fast switch and fire behavior, you know, wind driven type, of, like super, super fast. And people would be feet from the black and these events would take place. So to me, that, that was definitely something. And then just, you know, because when you look at Devil's Creek, the Harris fire, Kaufman road, antelope route fire i mean like these are all common things that were present in those like a, a large group of people or a, you know a, a number of people out doing doing their jobs and this this wind event or just massive rapid change in fire behavior and then people are li literally running for their lives right i mean that antelope fire um fla where the water tender driver you know pops his shelter part his his truck is immobilized pops his shelter to provide some you know to basically improve his conditions a bit hops on the running board of another vehicle is beating on the window with his radio standing on their running board and the conditions are so bad that the people in the vehicle don't know he's there for you know immediately like 
that's that is such a chaotic scary entrapment taking place right there and and we saw things you know not that exact scenario but a similar scenario like people diving in the back of trucks you know Kaufman Road to get to get out that stood out to me with the entrapments this year absolutely there's that um what we've started to call that chaos of escape um of just that moment uh or series of moments where um and it's usually like it's either just rapid onset, like we got to go now, or it's like, hey, we're we're building up, we're building up. We all know that we kind of, and then it just goes bam, and then it just happens, and 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 then it's just uh, all over the place. And uh, yeah, there there was a whole series of those, and I, I've got those uh, captured here. But uh, backing up real quick to some of the ones that you you mentioned. Um, and we've identified it before, but we had three really clear examples um, this year of the the scouting dangers with uh, scouting. And 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 I mean, we we've done a whole podcast, we've um, put it out in a whole bunch of different ways, and it it just so happened that this year um, there was some real straightforward ones. Uh, I shouldn't say straightforward, but uh, clear examples uh, where. Um, the scouting resulted in in a super scary event, and um, Kaufman was one of them. You know, they're out kind of. It's the crew soup and the um, captain out looking, and it looking at maybe doing a firing operation and stuff like that. But they're just out scouting, right? And it ends up with the crew captain just flooring it, and the <laughs> the crew the soup jumping into the back of the pickup and just holding on i think he still had his feet on the bumper or something like that and he's just like drive 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 and they're just flooring it out of there and that's all they had time to do and if you think about that that you don't even have time enough to get in the cab of the truck yeah you're definitely not going to be pulling your shroud down yeah put my shroud on real quick yeah no <laughs> Uh, and that you know they were out scouting. That red apple is one that kind of got lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Uh, but that was um, somebody just out on foot scouting and was in the black intentionally. And then it was just kind of smoky, and he decided he was going to just bump out just 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 to get a little bit of fresh air. And then it just now you know he's he's going. I could go down, but that's not a good deal. I could go this way. I could pull my shelter. He records his thoughts in the RLS, and then he ends up. It's just like it's coming, and he ends up uh, popping through the flame front um, and getting some serious burn injuries on his hands and his ears. And uh, yeah, again, he's just out scouting and and very intentionally being in the black and just stepping out just for some fresh air like that. Yeah, how. something that we do, you know. Yeah. Like it makes perfect sense. And then the Gales is the other one. They were out scouting and he, you know, that person ended up needing an extraction, a short haul and got short hauled out of there. Yeah. So again, just this plug for scouting in terms of like knowing ahead of time. I love scouting and, and, and I don't ever think of it as this like dangerous thing, but it's like, <laughs> there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of data that says that, um, that I should be more cautious when I'm, when I'm scouting. And then that kind of what you touched on that rapid growth, um, the time between there's a question out there right now having to do with atmospheric conditions and uh, fuel and all that stuff about the way I put it is for some of us are our slides out of date. 
you know what I mean, in terms of how fast it goes from zero to 60 or what, you know what I mean? People say, oh, I thought we had a full day before the fire got here and it got there in four hours. Or I thought we had all afternoon and it got there in, you know, 45 minutes. Yeah, it's a different game. And how can, you know, like your questions you have there, you know, what are some lessons you can use to avoid entrapment? I mean, thinking about these in this new scenario, reading some of these reports we've been talking about and really considering that, like, to me, um, you know, I'm certainly not in an operational role in my current job. But when I read that report, somebody is standing on your running boards, beating on your window, and you can't see them or hear them. Like, that scenario is something different and and when you read it it builds a new slide for you right like okay thinking about it different or you know red apple how many times have we said well i'm gonna bump out and get some fresh air or you know have people do that and it's like that the realities of these things and what people are seeing um and i'm so grateful that people are sharing these stories because if they weren't you know man so much gets lost and these, these are incredible, incredible stories and lessons for us all to, you know, capitalize on. Absolutely. And I think that that rapid growth, you know, that how quickly it, it escalates ties into the PPE discussion, you know, the, the gloves and the sleeves down kind of there's that piece of it. And then it also like what you're talking about with that antelope, it also brings up this whole um, staying in your vehicle dilemma. You know what I mean? Because it's like, is, you know, when it's all going down, sometimes is the vehicle the best place? Obviously that depends on what's burning and how it's burning. And, and we've had both survivals and not survivals in those instances. And there's, there's some reports and there's some guidance out there about, uh, about stuff. And one of the things that comes up often is we're so conditioned to, in the vehicle you get away and outside of it you use a shelter, that we don't think of using the shelter while we're in the vehicle. You know, people are feeling windows cracking and plastic melting inside the rig, but the rig is still operational and that there is, there has been instances and they've done some studies around like pulling your shelter out and um, reflecting some of that radiant heat actually buys you something, but we don't think of, of doing it. And more than likely your shelter is not in the truck with you, not in the cab. I don't know if there's a real way to solve that one. You know, um, some people have have the chest harness thing where they have the, the shelter on them, where they it, it, their their rig, like maybe the water tender operator, he obviously had his uh, shelter in the some place he could get it, yeah, yeah, on the bench seat because he 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 jumped out and opened it up, but that whole that thing, and then and then sometimes the vehicle is the best place to be um, if it's a fast moving uh, flame front. We saw that on on the Harris right where. The person that's outside the rig got some serious burns and the person that was inside the rig was fine. Um, and again, that just shows that rapid, like the person outside the rig who was on the end of the hose line, you know, couldn't get to the rig. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the other, the, the, the things you mentioned on that chaos of escape, um, we had those multiple instances, uh, antelope route, dark ravine, tamarack, where it ends up with people just piling in rigs 
and that route was, you know, there was that dramatic video. I think a lot of people saw it where you can see them kind of loading up and it's the engine crews already in the cab, right? And then they start loading the hand crew into the cab and people are getting in with their packs on and tools and all this stuff. And the, and the engine captain, he's looking at it and there's no more room. So he's, he's actually, and if you read the report, he's outside looking for a place to deploy a shelter. And then, uh, the, the engine operator opens the door and says, get in, get in. And then the engine captain like piles on the lap of the driver, right? As they're, as they're headed out. That's the chaos of escape. Like, it's just like, get in any rig you can. Well, and was it Devil's Creek where somebody got in the rig and their pack was on fire? Yeah. 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 They didn't, they didn't want to close the door because their pack was on, on fire. fire. Yeah. Yeah. And antelope. That's the one with the, you know, everybody focuses on that, uh, you know, the water tender, because that's the most dramatic piece of it. But there was a whole task force that was trapped in that. And they're scrambling around trying to figure out if they can go through or not. And the dark ravine was another one where they, there was a crew hiking out and they ended up like running, trying to just pile in any rig you could and get out of there. Like one of the engines ended up cutting the uh, charged hose line. And I remember every time when people would talk about about that, I'm just like, when is that ever? When are you going to cut a charged hose line? Like, what scenario would you would, would that be necessary? Like, Dark ravine. <laughs> yeah. What about you know we we saw a couple of instances with where in this chaos of escape, automatic locking doors was an issue. <sighs> scares me and it's just a scenario that I never would have thought of and it makes perfect sense once people kind of explain it I mean I the first time I read it I think it was a, a safe net a Dorothy draw a safe net where they described they're doing a firing operation and there was reason to quickly get in the rigs and get out um, and when people ran back to the rigs to open up the doors they were locked and the scenario was deteriorating quickly enough that I don't remember exactly what it was if the operator didn't realize really real quickly or if they, they were moving as fast as they could, but the people <laughs> that, that couldn't get in made the decision to go to a different rig just yeah, because it was just, locked. It's, it's not something you'd think about, you know, yeah. like you get go a certain, you know, speed and the doors automatically lock in, in all the new vehicles. So, yeah. yeah. And, and in that safe net, they detail on that very specific model, hey, this is how you can go in and um, disable that feature. And, and of course, it's like, well, man, now you're, you're disabling a safety feature and do we need to reconsider that? And um, that safe net uh, is out there to, to look at it. And, and, but it, again, it's one of those conversations, hey, is this something we, you know, and it's not a one-of event either. That's the other thing. The Dark Ravine, they had the same the same issue, like, oh, they didn't realize that the doors were locked, you know, and Antelope, I don't know if it was auto door lock or not, but um, the, the water tender operator that was hanging on the sideboard tried to open the door, obviously, and he, he couldn't because the doors were locked. And, and, and he's, like you said, he's pounding on the window with his radio. Yeah. I can't hear him. And uh, Devil's Creek talks about uh, the same things, just that creek, that scramble where everybody's just jumping in whatever rig is available. And it yeah, somebody say, was actually run over by the UTV, weren't they? Was that yeah, Devil's Creek? He, he yeah, he was taking refuge, like dove behind the UTV. And then the UTV operator's trying to get out and they're just like, oh, we're stuck on something. And they eventually just like back over yeah. a firefighter. 
Yeah. I mean, it's just insane to think about what that scene would be like and how small of an area it really was, you know? Yeah. It's another thing to to consider, you know what I mean? And if you're an engine operator or whatever, it's just be, it's another one of those things like, hey, it's it's going down. I should at least be aware whether or not my, my doors are unlocked because you might be the refuge for people you never met exactly. <laughs> or some people you care deeply about that yeah. are on your crew. Either way, you want those, you want them to be able to get to in. To get in, yeah. So yeah, that's a that's a real kind of tangible thing that people can can look into. I know that you know every year we get some little nugget lessons, right? Like little lessons from the learners. You you always categorize them in the report. What are what are some of those that stood out to you? There's a couple of them. Um, one of them is we should all consider getting a, a carry all. And, uh, it, and it was something we saw in the KMP complex tree strike, but we have seen it twice before this. And that's why I highlighted it is because, and it's a soft stretcher. It's a, just a, it folds up. It's pretty small. Um, you know, you can get versions of them, um, that, that fit in a line pack, obviously, cause that's what happened here. They had multiple patients. They had, uh, I can't remember how many people were hit by, uh, this section of a tree that fell down and they had multiple patients and, you know, there's a whole group of people that had these carryalls in their, um, their soft stretchers and they, they came out and they were just like, Oh my gosh, they're, they were, they, they were gold in that instance. It was just, it was the tool they needed. And we've seen that before in other reports than where, and it was the same message like, Oh my gosh, here's this, this tool that is not yet. It's not something that everybody has. Um, and it's, it's not even something that a lot of people know about. Uh, my experience is that the the folks from that are more aligned with the structure world are more familiar with it than those of us that are not. So that's a real, you know, if you got some end of year end of year money, like consider a carry all or a handful of them. And I I think they've got different brand names, but they're they're soft stretchers. Uh, ask your ask your pals that work at the the structure department, they'll, they'll get you lined out. Another one is this, this idea of staging EMS during initial attack. Again, something we have seen mentioned before. And I, I would say that the, the fire wildland fire culture has done this kind of major adaptation over the past 10, 15 years about medical personnel on large incidents. We did not used to regularly see ambulances at drop points and you know what I mean? Uh, ordering medical personnel the, the, at the level that we currently do, that's not always been a thing. And so we're, it's, it's funny, it's, it's normal now. I remember when it was first starting to happen, people were just like, geez, isn't that a little kind of like overkill to have every division has to have an ambulance on it. And it's like, that's just kind of, it seems awkward now if we don't, um, and, but these are, this is about large incidents, right? And so people have started to, to, to question like, well, how come we don't do that for initial attack? We've had instances where there was some sort of circumstance where there was an ambulance there for initial attack or, or maybe not an ambulance, but medical personnel. And they just said, oh my gosh, it was, we're so fortunate that that was happening. We should be intentional about that next time. We've seen that before. And on this one, it was. It was actually a crazy incident um, where <laughs> they're doing dozer ops at night and the person out front, they don't call it a heavy equipment boss in the report, but th that's the, the function, the role that they were kind of playing. And they end up getting pinned 
up against a tree with the blade of the the dozer and getting a broken leg from just being pushed up against the oh it's I cannot like even imagine how painful. Oh my gosh. And the, and yet I can totally see how it happens. It's just loud and you know, it's hard to hear the radio and um if you don't have a flashlight or or you know, it's just a flashlight shining into the lights from the the machine or whatever. But anyway, one of the things they talk about is that uh, a lot of times the during initial attack the the local uh, fire district folks show up and they're the people that have all the medical gear and training but they demob them real quick you know whether it's uh, state or federal folks that kind of take over uh, the operations and they and they and and in some cases there's like agreements you know after a certain number of hours you have to start paying or whatever i i get that but what they were questioning in their you know neck of the woods was Maybe we should have those people stay on as, you know, they would just go from operational kind of digging line or squirting water to a medical support and keep them there. And and so what if you have to pay them? I mean, if it's if it's possible or whatever, I, know, I understand that budgets are real. Um, but like kind of shifting our thinking to the same way that we do with large incidents, which is if we have firefighters on the ground, we should have medical people readily available right there. And if you have them come in anyway, keep them there and just switch their role. And if you don't have them coming, consider, you know, talking to them and saying, hey, when we have an IA, could you, could you at least put it on the map and know where it is? Some sort of coordination, right? Like initial attacks, not a planned event, but you can't have a planned response to an unplanned event. You know, notifications, hey, we have a fire out there on Forest Road 27. Just want to let you guys know if, if you know, that kind of coordination what about the, we haven't hit on the drip torch stuff. Oh, man. <laughs> we saw, um, the, saw a bit of that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. So we always see drip torch burn injuries. That's a, that's a thing that happens with regularity, which makes sense, right? You've got flammable <laughs> liquid and those drip torches, they, they often leak and they often leak onto your calf on the side that you're holding the torch and so you're you're um, or you're filling up refueling and you spill some of the fuel and stuff and it gets on you and then it ignites so we see that uh regularly but the this year we had um two instances one of them which resulted in some pretty serious burn injuries where the drip torch like fell apart it just plunk, all the parts came apart and and it was there was fuel in there and, and it, um, in the one instance uh, got fuel all over the person that was, uh, he had it actually strapped to his pack and it fell apart. And then, and what they discovered was like, okay, why does a drip torch just fall apart? And it was some mismatched parts, like different parts from different manufacturers. Right. And it, again, I can totally see how this happens. You've got, you're filling a bunch of different torches and there's different parts from different torches laying around. And if you're not intentional about it, you could very easily put the spout from this brand into the canister from this brand. And then, you know, the locking ring, the thing that screws down on top of it could be from an entirely different one. Those are all different pieces and they're built different and they don't always fit together. And in the other instances, they were using a, a drip torch and they did have the right, it's funny, they had the right locking ring and the right canister, but the, the spout was from a different manufacturer. And it, it turns out the depth of that little ridge, you know, will make even the right locking ring not, not seed fully. 
Um, so the, the lesson is just like make sure all the components of your drip torches come from the same like same manufacturer. Um, and in some cases, people would say, all right, that's it. You know, we're not going to mix and match drip torches anymore or whatever. Um, that's not always possible. But um, yeah, make sure that the the pieces being used on a on a specific torch are all come from the same manufacturer. And I think in in one of them, they actually suggest a way to refuel where yeah. you never actually mm -hmm. move the part out, uh, completely apart from the the torch. Yeah, some pretty simple simple lessons to yeah. to keep your your torch together. Yeah. And again, one of those things I just never would have thought of, but as soon as I hear it, I'm like, "Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense." Um, those threads probably aren't, aren't the same or whatever. What else did we have there? Oh, seat belts. That one uh, event where the, the crew's convoying out and they get a call from dispatch. So they pull over and then there's an oncoming semi. So they, so one of the trucks pulls a little bit further over, give them a little bit more room and they're just sitting there. Right. And this is the instance, this is the thing that I always envision. I'm in the, I'm in the third truck back. Right. I'm, and, and I'm sitting there and you know, soup is talking to dispatch or on the phone or whatever. And we're just sitting there. I'd jump out. I'll, I, I would jump out and get in the cooler and be like, Hey, anybody else want to water, you know, and, and I get back in, you know, 50, 50 chance. I would put my seatbelt right back on because we're just sitting there like, and, and in this instance, I, I I'm making up the part about jumping out. Like I'm just saying, that's what I would do, but they're sitting there and then it's time to go and they start pulling out and, um, the right rear duel gets in that soft shoulder and all they're doing, they're just pulling out off the side of the road and it just sucks them off the embankment and they roll twice. And uh, everybody in there was buckled in and there was no injuries, but I can just, I'm like, man, I can just see how that, that could have been different. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, they were going, it was a rollover and they were going like, I can't remember what it was, it was under 10 miles an hour or something. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine how scary that would be to like roll over and I think they landed upright. <laughs> You'd just be like, what Did that just, just happened? happened? <laughs> you know, because everybody was fine because everybody was, was buckled in. But yeah. And yeah, it's just another one of those plugs for, you know, you, you, by, the, by the time you need it, it's going to be too late to, to put it in place. Yeah, it just, I mean collectively this year or last year 2021 i mean just some good lessons some good things to start you know conversations in your in your crew setting your module setting just with yourself you know to to go through and read and and study those and just having given something some thought like the locking doors or you know the the shroud or whatever it is just that having given something some thought will put you ahead of the game if you find yourself in those kind of situations don't you think it's that absolutely i mean you could be an initial attack ic and uh have a resource that you know you normally would have demoped and you and you think twice and you go hey hey do you guys are you guys emts yeah you know it looks like we only we might only have uh, an hour of work left maybe you know can you guys hang around and just kind of be the medical group like i i'm putting that in my ic tricks bag for sure like because i i want them there if the bad thing happens and we know that the bad thing happens on weird random stuff 
Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of little, little things like that this year that, and if some of the stories we tell, you don't believe you're just like, are you kidding me? Like go, go read some of these reports and firsthand. And in some instances there's dramatic video with some of them. Yeah. Go, go take a look. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, picking up the incident review summary is going to get you tons of good links, but going, you know, to the incident review database and searching by some specific thing, right? That's always something for us to plug because there are, you can search by incident, you can search by year, you can search by state, whatever it is to have some lessons, to start some conversations. And uh, it's what we do, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's very Or reach cool. out to us, call us and say, hey, this, Absolutely. Is, this, is, this is what we do. You know, what are your thoughts on some of the you know, lessons that, that we should be looking at or reports we should be looking at. Yeah. And keep sharing the stories, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so huge. So yeah, I, I always, I appreciate the work you put into this and, and I know the field does. And, and I have to, you know, say our whole staff contributes. I mean, you do the, the, you know, pulling it together, but we, everybody does contribute as certainly, you know, throughout the summer as reports come in um, and, uh, so it's uh, something that is really important, important to us to, you know, package the lessons in a way that, that people can take them to heart. Absolutely. Thanks to Travis for the chat. He always has such a great perspective to add to the conversation. Also, thanks to everyone who took the time to share their stories in 2021, revealing the lessons that we discussed today. Sharing the lessons is a critical part of our collective learning. As a reminder, we were only able to reference a few of the reports and some of the insights that we gathered in 2021. You can follow up with your own study of the annual incident review summary or visit our incident review database. Both can be found on our website, wildfirelessons.net. I hope these lessons inspire some good conversation. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Wildfire Lessons Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, share, give us a review. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wildfire Lessons. For more information, visit wildfirelessons.net. Music provided by second-generation smoke jumper Steve Baker, who always likes to keep one foot in the black. Thanks, Steve. Remember, we honor through learning.